Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and their experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, check out practical-leadership.academy. You know you've made it as a leader when you want to be interested rather than interesting. Is one of the great things that Catalina Schwenninger talks about when we have our conversation. She's got a, such a strong background in dealing with people in HR as a recruiter for many years as well. This depth and this solidity of foundation really makes her a solid people leader. She says it's not enough just to, to recruit based on the skill people have, but you really need to get to know the individual understand how can you enable their talent, how can you unlock their potential and lead with trust. Let's get into the episode. Catalina Schwenninger, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. So you're a trained journalist. Unusual. It's wonderful, though. You started in HR, what, 20-odd years ago? You were at GE, running centres of excellence, and then you decided to go from GE to telcos. You were at T-Mobile, global head of learning for Vodafone for a long, long time. I think that's where we met, actually. And now you're the chief people officer at DataCamp. Now, that's a phenomenally high growth place. LinkedIn tells me over the last six months, you've been hiring something like 60-odd people a month. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, thanks, Crazy. LinkedIn, for reminding us. <laughs> <laughs> Did I miss anything out? I think you, you're spot on. Uh, it's a bit daunting to look back and say, blimey, I've been in this industry for almost 20 years. Um, never look back. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of ended up in HR by chance, um, going through recruitment, being on a plane with this really lovely chap who was like, hey, you know, you sound like, you know, your things around and you are a bit salesy. Why don't you join me and start a recruitment firm in Romania? This is how I actually after um, completing my degree in, in journalism and wishing to be Christian Amanpour, I turned out to be an HR professional. And 20 years later, as I said, I never looked back. My goodness. Where was the flight from? Well, it was from Bucharest to London, oddly enough. I was coming visit a friend in London. And uh, yeah, just uh, one of those serendipitous moments. Um, I think Tony's still around. Uh, he's still a big name in recruitment, but Back then, Antal International was one of the first, let's say, international recruiters who set foot in Eastern Europe. You know, after the, um, you know, after the events in uh, in in eighty nine, um, so they were pioneers, and because they were the first ones to to establish in Eastern Europe, they were, you know, really lucky to work with the likes of Coca Cola and DHL and GE and 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 all of that without having any experience whatsoever, without really knowing what I was doing every day. I ended up working with some of the most iconic brands and uh, and sourcing for you know senior people. Uh, yeah, early uh, early days uh, for all my scenes. So I mean that background in recruitment then that has undoubtedly served you very very well throughout your career, especially right now where you're trying to fuel a rocket ship, as we say. Well, I guess I think I'm still a recruiter at heart, and mm -hmm. and and to be honest. Um, you know, whether you are in the HR profession or you're a manager, you're recruiting all your life, right? I mean, you're also recruiting friends and uh, significant others, right? So I guess those basic skills of 
engaging, listening, asking good questions, assessing talent and fit are really core. So I'm actually, I'm very grateful for, um, you know, kind of my early training to be a recruiter. And to be honest, uh, yeah, why am I, why am I think, you know, what was she doing not having a, you know, a degree in psychology or sociology or HR, but really, you know, when you go to journalist school, they also ask you, you know, they also teach you to ask good questions um, and to build a rapport and get to, you know, get to the bottom of the story or the person, right? So there were some transferable skills there, but that 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 kind of recruiter uh, training early on served me very well. And I still feel I'm a recruiter at heart. I think I'm constant, uh, constantly looking for talent and scouting, uh, luring them to come in, assessing and all of that. It's kind of a, a handy skill to have. Well, I love journalists because you also write in a deadline. You get to the point. There's no fluff. I don't do fluff very well. Oh, it's great. It's, it's a bit like when you see, because um, I work a lot in sales, and you see a salesperson who's had a background almost knocking on doors and selling encyclopedias or something like that. It's that absolutely rock-solid foundation, the unshakable foundation. The basics are absolutely in place. If you've got that core, everything else comes. No, exactly. And and look at today, I was just having a chat with our account executive team and call calling is not a thing anymore. It's odd, right? Because it really is. Funny. Yeah, uh, you know, it's not done anymore. It's all done through obviously marketing and LinkedIn emails and all of that. But if you think about it, it's a fundamental skill that mm-hmm. unfortunately is not practiced that much uh, these days. So yeah, as I said, my early my early career of you know i had to i had to knock on a lot of doors and uh and ask them to give us the business a lot of these businesses had no idea what a headhunter uh does right and mm-hmm. the core of the role was selling uh whether you were selling you know getting customers to sign up to use your services or or selling the brand or the the role and the opportunity to to candidates it was a con- constant selling uh selling exercise there's the uh, Jim Collins and Peter Drucker, the, the the greats of leadership and management. They they both talk about things like getting the right person on the bus, getting the right people first, find the people, and then everything else follows. Eighty five percent of your management and leadership problems can disappear if you've got the right person. What extent do you think then recruitment and this understanding that you've got of how to uh, how to dig into what people are really about has made you a good people manager. Oh, that's that's a brilliant story. A, a brilliant question. Never asked about. Um, you know, nobody's asked it before. So well done for you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so look, um, I don't think it's a a secret power or anything. Um, it's more curiosity and not. Um, and not having a checklist, you know, not going into an interview thinking, okay, I have these five things I need to assess and ask. So it's more probing and really being curious about someone's story and asking for a lot of examples and evidence. And again, being being genuinely curious in that person, because look, obviously we all have a CV and a background, all went to certain schools, some better than others. We had, you know, 40, 20 companies or mom and pops companies on our CV. But ultimately, uh, what doesn't 
shine through a CV someone's potential, someone's passion, curiosity, um, you know, in, in an intellectual ability to, you know, to 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 learn, you know, learning agility. All of these things don't come don't don't come through a CV unless you really spend the time and and ask for a lot of examples and have you know deeper conversations with the person. So I think that ability to get to the bottom of everyone's um potential um is a skill and yes some some companies teach you that i remember back in g one of the best uh training courses i've ever been to i still remember it to date was a two-day training by an fbi profiler on how to interview um right and of course they give you all tricks of how to figure out if someone's lying but it's not about that it was really more about you know how you profile high potential and 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 talent and I still apply some of those things uh, to date. Uh, so that would be, um, you know, that would be my advice to managers who maybe are not that um, seasoned in terms of interviewing. You know, really going in an interview with an open mind, going behind the CV, asking questions and and listening. Uh, and don't, you know, expect to have to tick a box and go in with your five questions. Of course, structured interviews have a lot of merit. And we know from research that they limit bias as well, especially when you're comparing people. But you know, going open mind and uh, and and digging a bit deeper than uh, someone's profile. I was going to ask how how do you then reconcile the approach? Because I I think my own nature when I talk to people in interviews, my nature is to default to a conversation. I just want to I want to explore the person and find out. You know, are they smart? Will they get stuff done? Can we work? Can we all work as a team? How do you reconcile that with, as you say, the, when you're trying to recruit, what, 50, 60, 70 people in a month, how do you make that programmatic, systematic, repeatable, scalable, data-driven? How do you hire with data at the same time as trying to maintain that sort of personal? That's a great question. And interesting, I, I have the same approach as you. Uh, but uh, I think it's an 80-20 ratio discussion where, where, where you know, you always at least 20% of the time make sure that you also gather the, the data that you need because ultimately you need some evidence of their functional skills of can actually do the job, right? That's the basic. So you still need to, to structure that interview in a way that you have the 20%. But yeah, I'm like you. The rest is more like let's have let's have a conversation. And what I learned that the more I interview and the more experience I am as a people manager, the less I trust myself and the less I actually follow my first instinct. And my I think my best hires were those where I spent maybe three or four interviews with. Right, uh, and every every other uh, conversation brought in new elements. You know, um, and. Uh, yeah, you might think, oh, that's not a great candidate experience. But at the same time, it's a big deal, right? Every hire you make is, is a super important decision on both sides. So you're better off spending more time and investing more and doing your due diligence than rushing because, you know, first impressions are great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, again, you might have good instincts and good experience on that, but my my experience shows me that actually <laughs> the more I tag in, the more I, uh, you know, I learned about the person, and 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 sometimes you find in the third conversation that actually, great person, but maybe not for that role or not for my team. I think if we'd actually 
uh, gone by the second conversation, the second date I had with my wife, I wouldn't be married. <laughs> it was the third one. And you know what else? I had it booked ahead of time because the second date we were going to a movie and I picked the movie and I wasn't sure she was going to like it. So I picked, <laughs> we booked the third one ahead of time. And she went, oh God, that was a dreadful date. But we still committed to the third date. 12 years later and two kids, you seem to have worked. So yeah, you're right. It's the, it's the, the multitude, I think, as well there. It, again, it's a balance. It's this balance between keeping a, a tight process that is scalable and repeatable, that is fair to everyone. It's not a crappy candidate experience, but you still get to the core of the person. I love going for dinner or lunch. Actually, yeah. eating with someone. Senior candidates, you know, I'll go go out for a lunch with with uh, the senior people, and that's always told me a lot how they treat the waiters, how they what they food, what, what they eat. Sorry, you're eating what with what brown sauce with a steak? I'm sorry, no. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I, I thought, and, you know, I think going back to my FBI profiler training, um, you know, this in this day and age, a lot of people are very well versed in terms of um, interviewing skills, much more than when I was graduating. Um, and But it's also hard to keep that, you know, to kind of keep that mask on all the time and do all that pretend thing, right? So more likely that they kind of drop that mask off the third or fourth meeting. And as you said, especially over lunch where thing, people are more relaxed. And it's not, I, I don't mean like we want to catch people saying something wrong. It's not about that, right? But, you know, you kind of get the more authentic self and the more kind of the, the, the you know, the more complete view of someone after a couple of times when they're not just in overdrive sales mode, right? Look mm -hmm. at me, I'm amazing. Look at my CV, you know, I've done nothing wrong in my career. So yeah, to uh, fully um, stay behind that, spend more time, take them to dinner or lunch if you can. Especially now that we're not on COVID anymore in, you know, stuck at home behind the screen, right? We luckily, you know, we're back to having lunches and dinners. Thank goodness, my goodness. I was losing so much weight there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my pasta? I had a great colleague once whose um, int introduction to interviews was, I've got your CV. I've read through your profile. We all know these things are full of lies. I'm sure yours is full of truth, however. But tell me about you, really. And that really was quite good. That, that was quite a nice way of, sort of getting into things. What, what would you then advise to someone who's building their team out for the first time? I think, um, look, I've, I remember my first uh, manager role was way too early. I wasn't ready for it. And they made that kind of typical mistake of promoting the best, you know, uh, yeah. best highest performing salesperson into manager. And I was like, oh my God, massive imposter syndrome. You know, what was I doing? Very young person, very little life experience and work experience leading a team. Um, and I think early on, I was lucky that I had mentors and coaches that I could go to and ask for advice. But, um, you know, the advice I give right now, new managers is, look, once you're a manager, it's no longer about yourself, right? It's, it's really about how you enable, you know, the talent and, and unlock all that potential. I think it was, I, I love him, you know, Simon Sinek. I think he, he said a lot of smart things. Uh, but he also said once that um, when we tell people what to do, you get workers. When we trust people to get the job done, you get leaders. And that's very hard, right? Because there's a trust issue. 
right? And especially as first-time manager, you want to prove yourself that you have the ability to build great teams. And in the beginning, you don't really trust that they're doing a good job. Therefore, you are more inclined to command and control, to tell people what to do all the time, right? Um, so that's my advice, kind of, um, you know, lead with trust and enable them to do a great job. And yeah, and course correct, right? If they if they need your help, I think, again, role, role of manager is to unlock problems not to do the thinking and the working for them, but to unlock unlock obstacles, right? And be there uh, as a sounding board, as support, but not there to be, you know, tell me what you're doing, how you're doing it, how many times you're doing it, uh, and really manage on output. And again, going back to the last two years of COVID, it was so hard, right? A lot of inexperienced managers had a really hard time managing on output, right? Not seeing you every day not having a grasp of the amount of hours you put in your tasks or the tasks themselves, a lot of them have been challenged, right? And and they found it really hard themselves. Uh, so I think what what that those years working remotely taught us is that you have to lead on trust much more. And, and you see the results. A lot of very few companies actually um, complain about lo- loss of productivity, right? And so I think it was a good lesson learned. I mean, managing an output is is kind of a contrast to managing activity, really, which is the only thing you can see people doing. You can't see the output. But I can't see you typing away and doing stuff and making phone calls so I can count the number of things you do. So therefore, that must be good. You know, it makes it a challenge. What you, would you then extend that advice on managing an output, leading on trust? How? Would you go about doing that? Yeah, I don't think it's, there's, a, there's a silver bullet. Um, of course, one way to do it is through, you know, having the experience and failing a couple of times, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when, when you get your first manager role, obviously your dream is that you're building a high-performing team. You're like, a, you know, Klopp from Liverpool Football Club, right? You want to, we all want to be a Klopp, right? You want to you wanna have a team that's the best, that's highest performing, that's engaged, that's happy, and, and that's really hard, um, um, you know, to get there unless, um, you know, you get to know the people, you, you know, their strengths and development needs, and you're there with them for a couple of cycles, right? So then how you learn about the team is, is listening, right? Uh, it's, um, I think there's a trend in, in um, especially in larger corporates for a couple of years to turn all the managers into coaches, I think that's over-engineering, but the essence of it is really to teach leaders and managers to listen more, right? Uh, because that's what coaching is about. Coaching is not about telling people what to do. Again, it's more listening and unlocking their own ideas and potential versus doing it for them. Um, uh, and again, you learn, and I, I don't think any nobody is, is, is born a coach, right? Or a leader. I think you learn all of these things and you practice. And the basic thing, you know, where you start with is just listening. But listening with intent, right, and with interest and curiosity, not listening because you know that some management books taught you that you have to show empathy and you have to ask more questions than than give answers. So I would start there. It's not really rocket science and no team will be the same. Uh, People are completely different. You know, the more diverse teams you have, the more complicated it gets, right? Um, but again, I think that's that's always a good um, a, a good way to start. And then ask for feedback. It's uh, it's really interesting. Like 
um, I look at so many performance management processes and and tools and and uh, yet it's very lim- it's it's very common that your team members get a lot of feedback, but it's still the exception the rule that managers get the same amount of feedback. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, why why is that? Because you know you as a manager you're also on a learning curve. You also need to develop yourself. Right, so the uh, that that's I I always encourage to you know sit back and also ask you know how am I doing? Am I helping you? How are you experiencing me as uh, as a leader versus you know someone else you work for uh, before? So continuously ask for feedback as well and see how you know your impact is on on the others. But yeah, listening is kind of step one. Step one's a good place to start. I mean, it's the basics for everything. Um, most people sit there and they listen in order that they can say something. I'm waiting yeah. for you to stop speaking so I can jump in and sound clever. Exactly. And we let's go back to our initial, uh, you know, the uh, the beginning of our conversation. Sales, the same thing, right? There's so many salespeople that don't listen to you, right? It's so basic. And, you know, uh, they just assume that you want to, you know, know everything about the product or service, whereas, you know, the best thing I would do is to to listen. It's kind of so basic, but still not uh, practice enough. We call it show up and throw up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll use that. Quote. Well, feel free. It's not trademark. Um, was there perhaps in your illustrious career some event or some mistake that led you to learn something in particular. What was what was particularly transformative? Or oh goodness, I had I think I had a lot of pivots in my career, and um, I always followed people, not companies, and not necessarily you know I I'm, I'm actually. Uh, I'm I'm really good at coaching others and telling them to to form a view of their career path, but I've been really rubbish of doing that for myself because instead of kind of having this career plan and career path, I always follow my instinct and follow people that I would uh, learn from. And yeah, and sometimes picking those people that I followed, um, you know, I maybe not always you know pick the right ones, right? So even in with my what I thought very sharp interviewing and assessment skills in my due diligence, sometimes I was maybe um, lured into uh, an experience or someone that maybe didn't deliver the quality that I expected, right? So yes, I was doing my due diligence and I was interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me, but maybe my assessment was too superficial. So I won't give names and examples, but I think a couple of times in my career, I did that. Uh, So kind of uh, not practicing what I preach. Right. I always um, I always encourage candidates to do a thorough due diligence and on the company, on the culture, on the people they are going to end up working for, uh, because that's you know work you know working is such a big part of our life. So we want to pick them wisely. But I sometimes fell into the trap of not doing a proper due diligence. And look, again, uh, experiences and leaders are really good at sales as well, right? So, and uh, and they're good at flattering and giving good feedback and good vibes. And it's easy to fall into that trap. So, uh, you know, hindsight, if I look back maybe a couple of times, I should have done a better due diligence. Uh, nothing, you know, nothing too dramatic because I think I'm really, um, I consider myself really lucky. I had some really great experiences in working fantastic people and great companies uh, for the majority of times. But every now and again, maybe I should have done a, you know, more thorough due diligence. 
it's easy to follow. If you're someone who follows people, uh, I know I know what you mean because I'm attracted to not the company in particular because the company is kind of an amorphous thing, but you're attracted to the capabilities or the potential of an individual. You want to go and work with somebody in particular. It's easy to fall in love with them. You know, it's really easy to fall in love with someone uh, or in love with the idea of working with someone. What would be the thing that you would have asked? If you can go back in time and try and avoid that those challenging periods in your career, what would have been the thing that you asked or dug into? Um, I mean, I one of the things that I ask now is tell me tell me about the people that you uh, coached and mentored and sponsored and where are they right now and how much time do you actually spend doing that? It's it, you can do that on LinkedIn as well. I always admire uh, leaders that are able to get their teams along with them every time they move. Um, you know, and I know that's obviously it's a bit controversial because most of us have. Uh, no poaching um, kind of uh, clauses in our contract. But the fact that, you know, your previous teams follow you, that says something about your quality as a leader, right? And uh, I also asked them how they're spending their time, you know, how much they give back, again, in, in sponsoring, mentoring, coaching others. So, you know, I don't know who said that once. I'd love to to uh, to find out, but I loved a, a quote about, you know, you've made it as a leader, when you don't want to be interesting anymore, you want to be more interested than interesting, right? So that's that's one way for me to kind of uh, evaluate um, um, evaluate that. And yeah, and 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 you know, background checks, right? Obviously, uh, you know, there's LinkedIn right now. There's so much on social media, and I always also ask for references the way they ask for my references, mm-hmm. right? Is there anybody I could talk to? that could tell me about your style uh right and it's interesting people are quite shocked to hear that you know they yeah. don't find it it's normal well the thing is when you're you're taking I mean, you are sitting chief people officer right so you're an exec team there it's a big job so you're going to make a big leap and hopefully i'm assuming you are making a big impact there before you make that sort of step into a company yeah you want to know because you've got a reputation that's coming with you and that's one of the most important things that you have is, is your credibility and your reputation. And you don't want it to be tarnished. And at the same time, you want to be successful. So, yeah, asking for references is a lovely thing to do. That's a great idea. I wonder how, I wonder how well it will go down. I'd love to hear from people doing that, asking for references. Hmm. Again, maybe it comes back from my, you know, journalist upbringing, right? That's yeah. that's something that journalists do, right? You check your sources and you do your background checks, right? And your thorough, you know, due diligence. Other than trying to hire sixty people a month, what are, what are you working on at the moment? Well, uh, obviously, hiring is a bit slowing down right now, given what's going on in the world. Um, I'm I'm constantly, you know, what keeps me up at night is building cultures where people feel like they belong, right? Because it's, in a way, you know, if you're doing things right, the biggest scheme of things, recruitment is probably the easiest part, right? The hardest part becomes afterwards when you know, you keep talent in, uh, you unlock their potential, they are their, you know, they have their best, you know, roles, they are productive, engaged and happy. Um, so, you know, building these cultures that that get that have that X factor, 
where people come and say, you know what, this is the best uh, work I've ever done in the best environment. And, and that's, you know, that's hard, right? Because you have so many um, elements there that are important, you know, the quality of leaders, the, um, you know, all the tangible and intangible things, you know, the, all the routines, all the practices, all the people processes that you have in place, recognition, you know, all of that. So it's, it's not just one thing. And I thought that we were quite naive during COVID to say, oh, you know, we are going to, you know, cultures will be impacted because there's no water cooler anymore, right? If only it was so easy <laughs> that it was all about the water coolers, right? We would all invest in amazing water coolers and put them everywhere. One inch. Yeah, exactly. It's so much more than that, right? Um, so that's kind of what, and and obviously, I, again, it's also quite naive to think, oh, yeah, because it's a tough market right now with inflation and in employment that the war of talent is over. It's not, right? Great talent is in demand now as it was before. And uh, you always have to keep an eye on them, right? Don't, don't get complacent and thinking, you know what, just because the economy is how it is, people will stick around and not look outside anymore. I think that's absolutely naive. And again, always listening and, you know, making sure that uh, you know what's on their mind, um, you know, having career conversations uh, with people. So I spend a lot of time and that's like you, you know, I'm a social human. I love to go in the office and grab a coffee and sit down or go have lunch with someone to really understand what's going on and, and, and have those conversations before it's too late. You know, I have, ex I, you know, I, I hate exit interviews, right? Because you think, gosh, I wish I spoke with you last month or two months ago, because maybe it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't late. Yeah. I was with a company who started talking about retention interviews. I'm thinking, huh? Oh, well, why don't you just call them catch ups or coffee or lunch retention interview? That's, we know we're really doing badly when we have to put in retention interviews into the schedule. I mean, anyway. Yeah, because obviously you're going in with the intent, right? You shouldn't go in the intent. The intent is to listen and to learn more about, you know, if I go there and say, look, Paul, I'm putting a, I'm putting 30 minutes for us. And the purpose of the 30 minutes is that I want to retain you. <laughs> Right. Again, it's a bit naive, right? Hopefully the outcome of many conversations like that and other things that you're doing right in the company will be that you think twice before you go somewhere else. Yeah. If you could reach back in time, what would you like to thank young Catalina for doing? What did you I do think, well? Yeah, it's a good one. Maybe, you know, the fact that I was very curious from the beginning uh, and with with someone not having a particular talent in anything um you know i was a worker and someone with a lot of curiosity um so for me even academic achievement was all about can i learn more uh, can i know more uh, without you know necessarily always being the smartest kid around and that was something that you know i think it's innate the other thing is i always surrounded myself people that were better and smarter than me. And I keep doing that. And uh, again, that's my way of learning on the job, learning every day by making sure that, you know, people surround yourselves with challenge you, right? Um, so, but I, again, those were habits that I, you know, I had early on and I kept, <laughs> I kept them on, um, right? I think my early, you know, if I look at my early career, and as I said, I was promoted much too fast. Uh, but one thing I learned is humility, right? And again, learning from mistakes and listening more than talking, because I'm a talker, as you know, like you. 
Um, so kind of remembering every now and again, that's two years, one, uh, you know, one month um, that that helped as well. But obviously when you're young and uh, full of energy and enthusiasm, you kind of forget right about that. I think that comes with wisdom. We uh, we tend to listen more in the second part of our life. It does. It is indeed. I was talking to um, Jan Riken, who we used to work together at Cross Knowledge, and he says he's now entering the third stage of his career. The third stage. Of, he's, he's kind of quasi-retired professor at uh, IE Business School. So second stage, third stage. That's going to be interesting as well. And just a grandfather as well. You know, so these, these stage ideas are quite, quite interesting. Then as we wrap up, Catalina, how can we find you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, and on Twitter, but maybe on LinkedIn. I okay. think I, I love how LinkedIn's progressed into being this kind of content uh, platform. And uh, I, f- I always start my day in the morning kind of reading what, you know, the people I follow think and talk about. It's, uh, it's fascinating. Um, and yeah, although I haven't really written a proper post in a while, uh, at least just to connect and get a virtual or real coffee. Um, yeah, that's the best place to to uh, to look out for me. Then Katalina Schwenninger, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework, subscribe and share this with a friend or colleague. Please leave your five-star review and any comments you have because that really helps me to improve every day and it helps people to discover me online. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, you should check out practical-leadership.academy.